This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, I'm Jesse David Fox, and welcome to Good One, the podcast in which a comedian, comedy writer, or director comes on to play and then talk about one of their jokes. So I'm sometimes asked about how I came up with the idea for this podcast. So with this, the the first episode of our mini-season where I'm going to pick certain breakthrough episodes from our archives, I'll tell what is kind of our origin story. Or at least in the interview you're about to hear, you'll, you'll, you'll sort of see the initial spark. So in 2015, I was given the opportunity to interview Jerry Seinfeld at Vulture Festival. I know this podcast features me talking to famous people pretty often, but this was no small deal. I'm, I'm pretty sure I don't need to explain why. The Peg was a new season of Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee, but I was told we could talk about anything. And all I wanted to talk about was jokes. It was Jerry Seinfeld. Besides writing some of the best jokes, there are few people who care more about the writing of them. That said, I was also aware that Jerry was of a generation not exactly accustomed to breaking down their jokes, Dead Frog, and so on and so on, so I knew I couldn't linger too much. But I can't exactly explain the thrill I experienced in those moments during the interview where we got into it. I mean, it's like talking to Cezanne about painting fruit, or Paul Bacuse about making soup, or talking to Vince Carter about freaking dunking basketballs. Afterward, he said, you know, you're really interested in jokes, which I always interpret to mean you're really interested in jokes for someone who's not a comedian. This was one of the nicer things people said to me. It definitely was the nicest thing Jerry Seinfeld said to me. From that point on, I tried to find context in where comedy people would be comfortable focusing on specific jokes, and I found luck when I honed in on one particular bit at a time, building full interviews around it. I also got good response when I'd write stories myself focusing on one scene in a movie or one joke in a special. I also spearheaded a project for Vulture called 100 Jokes That Shape Modern Comedy, which traced the evolution of the form over distinct jokes. All of this confirmed my suspicion that there is a lot more to jokes than are given credit for. So when I was given an opportunity to start a podcast, I knew I wanted to focus on jokes. And I knew I wanted to present the joke first so you can see the tip of the iceberg and imagine the big hunk of ice hiding beneath the surface. And yeah, this is that podcast. So here is that interview with Jerry Seinfeld. But don't you like to shop on the internet? Do you go on Netta Porter like my wife? You love it, right? All you good taste girls love that. It's good. Except ask her this question for me. They send me a thing, I click on it right away, and it already says sold out. When you get a thing from them, and you click on and it, and you click on it, and does she go to it, and it immediately you, says you go X, to it, Y, and Z are sold out. And then it'll say sold out. Do you get the VIP preview? Ah, uh, see? Can I talk to her? <laughs> Hi, Jessica, it's Julia. What VIP preview? <laughs> I'm just clicking onto them right now. So who is buying this crap? No offense. And it's... I'm getting a thing from Jerry saying, wrap it up. Oh, yeah, and by the way, thank you for training him to become a human being. Because what I was dealing with was, um, well, anyway. Okay, take care. You're really making me miss the show now. I know, right? The laughs we used to have hanging out. The laughs. Yeah. It is so fun to be reminded of how funny you are. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I I am Jesse David Fox, senior editor of Vulture.com, and this is Jerry Seinfeld, uh, being Jerry Seinfeld. Yes, thank you. (laughs) So this was the first episode of the new season. Right. Why did you decide to lead with this one? Um, A lot of people had been asking to see Julia, and um, there's something, uh, what I like about this show is it goes in unexpected places, and this one, uh, you really see a relationship that I think people may have been curious about. I, I often get asked, are you still friends? And you know, a lot of times people work together for a long time and don't end up friends at the end. So I thought there was something very sweet about it that I thought people would like. 
Jeff, so this is the third of the, the main Seinfeld crew. And you touch, touch on a little bit in the episode, but you know, what, did you, what do you find so special? What do you find so funny about each of them? Of the Seinfeld uh, crew? Yeah. Um, well, they're all totally different. There's, there's no relationship between yeah. uh, the one I did with Larry David and uh, this one. The, 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 the thing that you see is the relationship. I mean, I think with Larry, you could actually see how we wrote together. We, we actually write some things in conversation in the show. But with Julia, you know, there's just that, uh, I think, a sweet brother-sister thing there that we always had. And it's part of what made the show work. You know, we really were very fond of each other uh, in those years, all, all four of us. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's, there's more commonality than difference. So uh, recently with the, in the Letterman finale, Julia joked about how she was going to be part of another bad yes, finale. Yes, yes. Do you like the joke that it was a bad finale? I like all jokes, <laughs> okay? <laughs> that's what I do. That's what I live for. There's really nothing else I care about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> than jokes, and uh, I don't really care who the victim is or who has to, <laughs> whose feelings have to be hurt. If it's a good joke, I'm into it. And you're like, that's yeah. a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually fought hard for that particular joke. The yeah. writers had a different joke that Julia and I did not like, and uh, she came to me and she said, uh, I, don't, I don't know if this joke works. And I read the joke and I go, no, that, that's, that's a bad joke. And <laughs> she had flown from LA to New York just to do the one line. And <laughs> It was a big deal. We were yeah. really excited to be on that show. It was a really cool experience to be on Dave's last show. And I didn't want her to go out there and tank, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, I've been at this a while. I know, you don't always know 100%, but in this case, I knew. This, this, this is a loser. <laughs> this one is not going to work. And so we went to the writers, and it was quite a long negotiation. Sure. And, and then they came up with this other line, which was sensational. I wonder, actually, now, I was thinking, did they have that or did they write that? And maybe they didn't want to hurt my feelings. Yeah. Uh, that's what I think may have been the case. They, so they had that first. joke and they didn't want to hurt my feelings. And then, of course, not knowing me, knowing that I don't have feelings. Yeah. Um, well, also, when you fought back on a joke, they're like, we don't mind hurting his feelings. Yeah, yeah, right, right. No, I was thrilled about that. So with Letterman retiring, that's another of uh, one of your peers that was retiring. And I know mm -hmm. you said you'll never really stop doing stand-up, but mm -hmm. I was wondering what drives you to do this show? Like, what, the things outside stand-up, like, what is, what is bringing you to do that? I, I, I did this show, I really, first of all, I never thought it was a show. Yeah. It was really actually just very recently that I started to think, maybe this is actually something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I kind of missed from talk shows uh, the funny talking of casually hanging out. Yeah. There's no casual hanging out anymore on talk shows. The real estate is too valuable. Mm -hmm. And people want to push their product. And, and I don't know. So I came up with this idea of like if I ever did a talk. See, the reason I never did a talk show is because I can't really talk to people that aren't comedians yeah, yeah. and be funny. It's hard, <laughs> you know. You're doing just great, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's only been three minutes. Yeah, yeah. So we'll yeah. see. So, I don't know. This was my personal fantasy idea of what I would like to watch. And stand-up has become so popular with uh, so many young people now. Yeah. There's so many stand-up geeks, you know. I thought they would, they would like this, you know. So I just made a few of them and just threw them on the Internet. We didn't do any press or yeah. sell it in any way. And, uh, you know... That's what's so cool. The internet fascinated me also as a network. I thought, why do I need a TV network? Why can't, this is a network. So that was what drew me to it. So I wanted to back up a little. What is the process of making an episode? Like how early, how much ahead of time are you asking a person? How, when do you pick the car? How much editing are you there for? Are you there kind of in all Well, stages? one question, what, what's your real question? <laughs> what, is, what is the process of an episode? The process is, the, the big process is after we shoot it, yeah. making it. And I'll, I'll give you some secrets about this one if you'd like. Um, but, yes. okay, so. Yes. Um, making the show is nothing. You know what I mean? I call somebody I love and who I just think is funny. Maybe I know them, maybe I don't. And I just thought, this seems like a cool person to talk to. 
Uh, I, I asked Trevor Noah before he got The Daily Show. I thought, this guy's cool. Something weird about this. Something interesting about this guy. So I just call him. And yeah. everybody's got two hours, <laughs> you know. And that's another thing. Doing talk shows is, you know, frankly, kind of a pain in the ass. I mean, it's like, it's your whole day. And you got to talk to the producer. And, well, do you have any funny stories for Dave? You know, and what's happened to you lately? And, you know, and you just think, can't we just talk? Aren't we supposed to be entertaining people, but they don't do it like that. <laughs> so, so I'll call somebody. I call Julia, I don't know, uh, maybe three months in advance, because people are busy. Yeah. So I call three months in advance, say, you want to do the show? They always say yes. <laughs> and, because uh, really, it is, it is literally just, what, it is just a cup of coffee for two hours. Yeah. And that's no big deal. You don't have to wear anything, no makeup, no fruit basket, no... <laughs> You don't have to sign anything or sit anywhere. You know, I go right to your house. And then I think about the car. And uh, the car to me is, um, you know, cars have a lot of personality to me. These are the cars that I love from the 60s and 70s mostly, yeah. some 50s, that uh, are just more interesting objects than they are today because they were somewhat unregulated by the government. And then, so we do the thing, and, and then it's nothing. Now, making the show after that, now all of the work, like of the music and the coffee, and uh, I'll give you an example of, of something that uh, we, I, I, I tricked, I, I got away with here. Julie and I are talking about Net-A-Porter. And uh, I say, do you use that thing? And she says, yeah, I use it. And she says, I think I have a problem with it. And uh, asked to see if Jessica knows. So I decide I'll call Jess right there. So I call her, we cut it together, and then she gets off the phone, and I think, I need something funny <laughs> to get out of this. And I, I say to Julie, just pick up, just take the phone and say, and thank my wife for turning me into a human being. <laughs> she is not on the phone with Jessica. <laughs> it's totally fake. <laughs> And I do a lot of that. Yeah. I do a lot of fake things like that. Uh, and that was, and she's obviously such a um, great actress. You have no idea <laughs> that she's not on the phone. And it's a funny line, and she just does it. And that's another fun thing about the show is it's just like, do this, do that, do that. You know, there's no second take. I didn't say do it again. I go, just do it, you know. And, you know, if there's like a shot of something that I'm missing. Yeah. Um, oh, for example, the guy who says to me, Hey, Jerry, I'll trade you. <laughs> oh, I'm so tired of that line. So tired of it. You poor man. <laughs> well, you can't hear that guy, because it was just a real guy, and yeah. there's no microphone to pick him up. <laughs> so somebody in editing just said it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I subtitle in at the bottom. It is what the guy said. But if I wanted to change it, if it wasn't a funny line, I would have changed it. Because <laughs> who cares, you know? <laughs> so there's this, you know, incredible latitude of making this show. Or like, if I don't have a shot, I'll just say, send somebody, you know, send some kid out with an iPhone and just get the shot. You know, if I need a shot of a street or something that's missing or something we yeah. talked about that... Uh, did you see that? Did you notice the other Aston Martin and we put the year? That was, you know, that just happened. And then you, you know, I love little things like yeah. that. And I don't know, we just, it's pretty loose. It's pretty fun. So I wanted to kind of get into how you decide to pick a car for a person. So I wanted to give you an example. If George Carlin and Richard Pryor were, if they were alive, mm. not obviously, can't pick a car for them now, but what? Would you pick for them? That's a good question. Um, Thank you. Carlin, uh, <laughs> well, first I would talk to the person yeah. and find out if they have any car awareness. Um, <laughs> most of the time they don't. Sometimes I do. I knew Julia would love that car because yeah. it's so elegant. And girls love uh, that Aston Martin. You know, it's, it's just, just uh, it's like a beautiful dress or something. Yeah. Carlin, uh, you know, a lot, of pe a lot of people kind of think of him like a hippy-dippy weatherman. I, would, I think a VW bus would be a great car for George Carlin. 
But I would see what he's into or yeah. what he is intrigued by. Sometimes there's a car people have dreamed about wanting to be in. Steve Harvey always wanted to be in a 57 Chevy Bel Air. So I got that for him and yeah. he got... When the people get excited about the car, it's really fun for me. Yeah. I love when they get excited about the car. Um, so I want to ask you some things I noticed. So do you like coffee or do you like going to get coffee? All of it. The whole thing. Anything like more? Do you like... like do you like the getting more? Do you yeah, like I love the getting. I love that it's a thing, you know, <laughs> that you go and get it, you know? Like, this, no one says, hey, let's go, wanna go get a lemonade? It's like, you know, everybody likes lemonade, but it's just not fun to go get it. It's like, <laughs> coffee is like such a thing to make and it does something to you on a few different levels <laughs> and it's just a cup of liquid, but you can really make a thing out of yeah. it. And I found this out, you know, after I got married. Before I was married, I would meet people for meals all the time. I'd have lunch with someone, or dinner with someone. After you have to get married, you don't have that kind of time. But you can always have coffee with someone. Yeah. So I started doing that a lot, and I, I really enjoyed it. So you mentioned briefly there, why do you find marriage so funny? Like, every, almost every episode. It's, are you married? I am not. No, it's, it's because it's insane. It's just, it's, <laughs> you, every, you're in the situation that's, you know, Crazy, it's crazy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's got so many wonderful things and challenging things, and there's nobody who's not, if you're married, it's, that's what you're doing. <laughs> that is the thing that you're doing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I tried to do this show, The Marriage Ref, yeah. a few years ago that didn't quite work, but I think, I really think that was a great show that didn't work for some other reasons. Yeah. But talking about marriage, whenever if you're married and then you go out with another couple and you start comparing notes, it is always hilarious <laughs> to hear what they're dealing with because it's always the same and always different. So because you're going to coffee shops, you run into a lot of hipsters. Uh, I want to know... Yeah, it's coffee, yeah, hipsters, hipsters are everywhere. They're not just in coffee shops. Well, we see you interacting with them more than, I guess, because you're going to coffee shops. Right. Do you okay. have a take on it? Do you appreciate... I had a good line in a, a show we, I did with Colin Quinn. As I say, if they were really hipsters, how could there be so many of them? <laughs> <laughs> Being hip is so hard. You know, by, by definition, a hipster has to be a very small percentage of a group. <laughs> yeah. So... People look like them, but I don't think they're really that hip. Got it. <laughs> Who makes you laugh the hardest? Oh, well, uh, my friend Barry Martyr makes me laugh the hardest. He and I, he's the guy who I really uh, got the idea for the show from, because he and I would drive around, and it was always funny. And the first episode I did with him at the Bendix diner in Jersey. It's yeah. like eight minutes long. It's still up online. You can see it. It's pretty crude. We didn't even really know what we were doing. But it was just, I, I was just eventually, I mean, I've spent my entire life hanging out with comedians and you have mostly very funny conversations. I mean, the whole, my whole TV series is based on when I talk with Larry David, it's always funny. <laughs> it's always funny. And I thought, I'm, I want to do a show that sounds like me and Larry talking, which is exactly what we did. Yeah. So then I thought, well, if I have a few hours, is it enough material? Can I cut it down? Would it be interesting? Would it work? It was a really a, a, a complete fantasy, you know, if there would be enough. And I still sometimes think, what if nothing funny happens? Yeah. What if we don't think of anything funny? And somehow it, it, it kind of works. How did, you said you didn't really think of it as a show until more recently. Like, mm -hmm. what does that mean now that it is a show compared to when you're just you and Barry just doing it to see if uh, nothing, it doesn't mean anything. It's, it's, it's a nice feeling um, to invent something where there was no template there before you yeah. to figure it out. I mean, I remember when I told the idea to Louis C.K. and I said, what, what, I have this idea of I'll hang out with comedians and I'll, I'll shoot it and I'll cut it together with music and coffee and I said, what do I do with that? And he says, you should, you should charge people a dollar to, to watch. <laughs> charge everyone a dollar, you know. And I, I didn't like that. I didn't, nobody knew what to do. I went, I had this, remember I had this big meeting at CAA, you know, with their really smart digital people, you know. <laughs> it was like 10 people in the room. People I had read about, never met. This is the guy he meets with Zuckerberg every day, you know. <laughs> This, he's way out there, you know. 
And I go, okay, well, I, I got this idea, and uh, it seems like, you know, as a person that people know, and I have a, you know, I have an audience, people know me, so we can get people to check it out, and the internet seems like a pretty fluid medium. I could put this thing on the internet, you know. What, what, what do you think I could do? And they went, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no idea, you know. And I, then I met with these Facebook people, and I, I met with YouTube people, all, all the, I mean, a guy like me, you know, that's one of the fun things about being me, is you can meet anybody, you know? <laughs> you can call anybody and say, can I talk to you? And they go, sure, come on in, you know? <laughs> and, they, and they are all smart, and they were nice, and they were well-intentioned, and they all told me, this will not work. <laughs> this will not work. If you, they said, if you're over five minutes, nobody's gonna, they're not going to hang in there because yeah. the internet is five minutes is the maximum length of time and we average 19 minutes of viewer so that was pretty cool you know but i i was i'm not a um i believed in the tv series before it got popular yeah and this i was the last person <laughs> to get on board with this you know if NBC calls tomorrow and say, we'll put it on. Oh, There's please, a... come on. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> not change. Oh, if you NBC be... wants to put this on TV. Yeah. Do, would you believe that they would not change it? Would you do it for TV? That's a good, great question. Another good, that's two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, if there is such, if such a meeting happens. Yes. You can meet with well, anybody. Me you Do you think you could put that on TV as just a regular TV show? Mm -hmm. Just the yeah. new girl and then this? Really? <laughs> Don't you think there's something, there's a nice, that it's not part of that. I think that's part of the appeal. See, I'm getting some nodding here for that. <laughs> um, first of all, when you have these, yeah, these people, they will say, we're not going to bother you. We're not going to ask you to change it. And they're lying. They're yeah. lying. <laughs> But you know, you I, I would I'd probably have the meeting, yeah, and just to see how good uh, their salesmanship is, you know. But I don't know, I don't know. I really uh, believe in the internet as an entertainment medium, and I'm proud that I was able to do something on it. And I don't know, I don't know where yeah. this thing goes. I don't know. I don't really. <laughs> so why do you think you or comedians in general are a good fit for the internet? You mean in terms of the show or in general? In terms of the show or just in general, comedy or comedians in particular? They're freaks, you know. They're, the, comedians are, um, they don't, everything that they do outside of making a joke is a huge, um, what's the word, uh, not accommodation, but uh, uh, compensation. It's like all, all social interaction, everything that they do they, is very difficult for them, except making jokes. That's the only thing they really want to do. Yeah. Everything else is, feels horrible to comedians. <laughs> all socializing, all everything. You, you don't succeed really at anything else mm -hmm. but that. So, and their heads are always going, and everything they see, they're always looking for what's funny about that, or there's something funny. They're just always thinking about what's funny. And it's just a fun kind of person to hang around, you know? They just want to make jokes. Yeah. So, recently, Seinfeld uh, had a deal to, it'll be now available on Hulu. And, mm -hmm. I mean, beyond the money of it, like, what does it mean to have it be available? It's just hilarious that that's how people want to watch it. Like, they make it act, I mean, we've all seen all the shows, but they, <laughs> to watch it this way, I mean, it really proves the old uh, Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message. Yeah. That's, there's no new content here. Yeah. It's just a different medium. And that that was so interesting to people is fascinating, that they want to watch it this way. <laughs> I want to hit that thing. I don't want to hold a DVD. I want to put my finger on that, you know. You're going to get the same thing in the end. It does. So, uh, but I, I think it's fascinating because people will, there will be a new audience. The most amazing thing to me that's happened to the series, first of all, it's got way more popular since it went off NBC, yeah. which is something we never imagined. Usually you're on the network, that's your big thing. 
and then you go off the network and you're on local stations and it just dribbles down, 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 down. And this show, it's been the opposite. It's gotten much bigger after it went off NBC. But here's a weird thing that happened that nobody could, could possibly have predicted. So the show, we came off NBC, Fox 5 in New York bought the show. You know, all these local stations buy the show. So they buy, actually rent it, is what actually happens. So they rent the show, I guess they get it for like three years, and then they have to rent it again. It's a fantastic system. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the, I don't know how many times they rented it. It was 15 years or something, yeah. and eventually they just wore it out, you know, and the ratings are going down, and they go, okay, we're done with it, you know. And so they didn't want it anymore. I'm not involved in any of this. I just hear these stories. I don't think I'm, I'm not that involved. So Channel 11 says, well, we'll take it. You know, we would like it. So Channel 11 takes it. Now, what is the difference between Channel 5 and Channel 11? <laughs> to us, right? Nothing. 9, 5, 11? What's the difference? Well, the, the show goes on Channel 11. The ratings go up. <laughs> Why? Why are the ratings going? I mean, I had to get to the bottom. Because there are people that like Channel 11. <laughs> Can you believe that? I mean, isn't that shocking? I mean, but this is to answer your Hulu thing. Yeah. So they're saying, I don't want to watch it on Channel 5. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an 11 watcher. <laughs> it's, it's, and that's, so that's what's going on. It's really, it's, but if you're in the business, you gotta, you gotta, you know, Acknowledge that this is how audiences behave. You have to understand how audiences behave. Uh, when you're on, I think the most recent time you're on the Tonight Show, you did a bit that was essentially making fun of male. Email I like. Uh, I don't really uh, like the use of the word male in email using the same term that we're using for the postal service. I don't see a lot of overlap between these two systems. <laughs> One of them occurring in digital fiber optic hyperspace, the other a dazed and confused distant branch of the Cub Scouts. I, I watched, I was like, you can imagine a comedian that's been around doing the opposite bit, just making fun of like how kids these days, they don't know how to write a letter. Is it important to you to be up on technology? No. <laughs> you just like it. If it's good, if it's useful, I'm like anybody else, but I'm not trying to, uh, I mean, I am trying a little bit. I mean, trying to figure out Instagram, and I just don't get, it just seems exhausting, and <laughs> so much work, and so you get so little out of it, you know, but uh, I, I do try and, uh, things that get popular, I like to get a little grip on why is that popular, mm -hmm. but um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm that good at it. What I am good at, and what every comedian <laughs> is good at, is knowing, uh, how to carefully manage an audience's attention span. And that is also the key to this show. For example, I'll give you another. When this show was first cut together, uh, again, to go back to that little scene with the phone about Netta Porte and just talking to my wife. Julia says, ask your wife about this thing about Netta Porte. I go, you know what, I'm gonna ask her right now. And I take the phone and I dial the phone and I, and then Jess picks up the phone, and I go, hi Jess, I'm, I'm sitting here with Julia, I'm in the middle, we're actually right in the middle of doing an episode, she has a question about net porte do you mind, uh, can, I, can I ask you right now, are you busy? Okay, all, you gotta get rid of all that. <laughs> all of that goes, because it's just boring. Now, it's not boring, in a, in a TV series, you can, when you're watching a TV series, you're watching an episode of a sitcom, there's a story that you're hooked on. And there are characters, and this is going somewhere. This thing is going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, even when they first cut it together, they even had me dialing. No, 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 you can't have that. That microsecond is on the internet, because the, the internet is the most brutal medium for attention span. The distance from your finger to that off or stop, it, it's, you're, you're holding it right there <laughs> while you're watching things, you know. How many times you, 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 you see a video, you go, oh, that looks good, I wanna see that. You press it, and then 15 second commercial, no, 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 no. 
No, you don't get 15 seconds. It's not that good. <laughs> like Amazon.com, one-click ordering. That's where I got this idea. They understood. <laughs> Two clicks, I don't even want it anymore. <laughs> I changed my mind in between clicks. <laughs> As a stand-up comedian, you must master that attention span uh, dynamic yeah. of an audience. And, and it's no different from, you know, d trying to do jokes for four drunks in a nightclub at two o'clock in the morning. You've got to get their attention and hold it. So you spend your life doing it. And that's what you have to do on the internet mm -hmm. to survive. So your documentary comedian is considered by some to be really pioneering to create these comedy nerds, these people who are very into the process of comedy. Oh, thank you. Um, I was wondering what you thought about that as an audience that knows the mechanics, that like knows what a bit is, like that, that want to see the process. It's a, that's, a, that's your third good question. <laughs> no, you've had a lot of good questions. Um, I also thought that audiences learning more about stand-up, that it might uh, spoil the magic for them, but it doesn't seem to. Yeah. It doesn't seem to. I think we just need the laughs that much. I mean, I, 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 mean, I watch comedians, and, and I watch them do this exact same set two times in a row, and I know I'm a comedian, I really love jokes, but you can laugh. You can laugh a second time. Yeah. You, know? you can think that's a good joke, and you enjoy it again. Have you adjusted, or you think it changes the way you do comedy if an audience knows more about the mechanics? I d no, I don't know what they know. I don't care what they know. It's not my job to know. <laughs> it's, I, I, have, I talk a lot with young comedians about, are, are there any comedians in the audience tonight, today? That one. A few. Um, yeah, young people now, I, I have gotten off on this thing of you gotta have a whole new hour every year. And uh, I feel like that's very wrong-headed in terms of bringing yourself to the highest level you can get to. I mean, this is real comedy shop talk, but um, uh, I, I do think that um, knowing, knowing the mechanics is not uh, uh, an issue for an audience. So you, you mentioned the, the new hour thing, which is, I mean, you don't have, I think I've read that you don't have intention to film a special anytime. No. Is it, so how much, how much material are you currently walking around with. I, I don't know exactly, but it's probably two hours, maybe three hours, that you know you can kind of just pick things off a shelf and go, I think I'll do this, I think I'll do that, or. So are you generating some, I mean, you're not doing a new hour of new material, I'm not like, no. you're just adding. I could, I could, <laughs> but I don't believe in it. I, I would rather do for you the best of what I have thought of in the past five years. Mm -hmm and show you that, that then all new stuff. Yeah. That's not gonna be as good. Well, I, and I think you, you'll probably agree, which is there is a desire for new stuff, and in that way, is this show your new stuff? Is this, they get to see your process by seeing, like do No, there's no process on, <laughs> on display here. To do nothing comes, no, nothing that you started talking about here then has slowly become a. No. But things land here that I have no other place for. Yeah. For example. You know what else I can't take another second of? One, two, just take the picture. Nothing happens on three, okay? I'm not gonna get happy on three. Sure, you know, it's not Matthew Brady in the Civil War yeah. with a, gonna be a huge explosion, you know. Just take the goddamn picture and let's move on. So I won't do that joke in my act, uh, just because it's not, it's not strong enough, but in that context, yeah. it works really well. So you had it, and you're like, oh, this might be a time to... Yeah, I thought, I'll do it here, and see how it plays. Mm -hmm. It's really, I can't tell you how exciting it was for me to listen to you watch the show, because that's something I never get. I never hear anybody watch the show. <laughs> so that you enjoyed it, I, I, it was a huge thrill for me today. I want to thank you for that. Did you learn anything from hearing people laugh at parts and? Yeah, I mean, I, I would go back and re-edit it now. I would make, <laughs> I'm a little compulsive, a, yeah. a compulsive tinkerer, you know? I love to just, let's try this and maybe, maybe shrink that section a little bit. 
I mean, that's what stand-up is, yeah. is constantly moving the accordion to different sizes. Is, that is actually what I wanted to ask you next is, there's a lot of comedians now that write on stage, which is they go up with a premise and then they just kind of over the night carve it down. But you're, mm -hmm. you write. Yeah. And then it changes. So is it that you're just trying it, if it and if it doesn't work, you're taking it out? What is the process of a joke at the beginning of the idea to how it gets ready? I mean, I, I, this is something my favorite thing to talk about. I, I oh. really think they're going to be so bored to hear. <laughs> it's, it's just a grueling uh, process of uh, iteration. Yeah. Or you think, uh, I mean, I've been working on this thing about donut holes. A hole is the absence of whatever is surrounding it. Okay, if they were really donut holes, the bag would be empty. Okay? And the donuts that you got the holes from wouldn't have holes because you took them. Now, if you want, you could take what they're calling donut holes, but they are not. They are donut plugs. You could take the plug and shove it in the hole, which I don't even feel comfortable saying for some reason, but that would eliminate the donut, the hole, and the plug, but you still have a fat ass and people shooting you with a camera as you're walking down the street, so it doesn't work. And uh, I just love talking about donut holes <laughs> because that's just because of that. Yeah. As soon as you bring it up, people go, really, that's what you're gonna talk about? I mean, and it's just a silly kind of thing that I like to do, but it's quite complicated yeah. to <laughs> bring that subject up yeah. and take an audience through it in a, through, you know, moronic logic. <laughs> but audiences love uh, to hear about something very stupid. <laughs> you know, but it, but I imposed kind of a, a very rigorous in, intellect to it. Yeah, um, it's kind of philosophical that joke about the, <laughs> you know, if it was really donut holes, the bag would be empty. I mean, so I don't know. So it, <laughs> it's just if you have the 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 will to yeah. get up on stage night after night and say. Donut holes, let's try this again, you know. <laughs> and then when you get it, if you do get it, it's unbelievably yeah. satisfying to have a, to say, then the, the big thrill is you go to a, another comedian, you go, have you seen my donut hole bit? <laughs> and they go, really, you got a bit? Oh, I got a whole thing on donut holes, you know. <laughs> and they go, gee, I've seen donut holes, I never thought that that was a bit. I go, oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> Are you, will you keep on Tinker with it for years? I mean, if it's- For years, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if I get it, if I get it, you know, some things just fall together, like yeah. the bit about, uh, that you mentioned about the post office, yeah. where I do, I do the, um, the postmaster general. And so they always send the postmaster general out. He always has to make a big speech about how what tough time that they're having. And he, he comes out and he's freaked out. He's got rings under the eyes, no shave, pulling all-nighters. We can't do it anymore. We got to go up a penny on the stamps. There's no way around it. We're trying to get some breathing room. The costs and the infrastructure. And we're all like, hey, dude, do whatever you got to do. We don't give a damn. What is a stamp anyway? We don't even know what it costs. <laughs> 43, 48, make it a buck. You're going to get there. So that, that bit, once that gets nailed down, I, I, I won't touch that. Yeah. But certain things, sometimes they kind of wiggle around and you can't nail them and you just keep changing little things. And... Do you, can you think of an observation that you had that you brought up the premise and you could tell everyone's like, that's not a thing that we've also noticed? Like, if you go, have you ever noticed? I was up nine out of 10. <laughs> Do not work. <laughs> so, um, before the, the, two times ago on Letterman, you did your first Letterman mm -hmm. set. Mm -hmm. What was it like to be in that space? Did you like the jokes? No, I didn't really. <laughs> <laughs> I had this whole bit that I did in 81 about Bob Hughes, the fattest man in the world. Take off 200 pounds. It doesn't make a hell of a dent. And if you're a friend of his, what are you gonna say to him? You know, you look great, Bob. What are you down to, 1,200 now? You're a rail, baby, look at you. 
And as you can hear from this response, yeah. it's like, <laughs> fat in 81 is not fat in 2015. It's <laughs> not, no, everybody, no, everybody thought it was hilarious that someone was fat in 81, you know, so. Can you, did you notice how you changed? You were like, oh, if I had this premise, I would do this, this differently? A little bit, yeah, a little bit. A little bit, but the whole subject, I would have realized, no, nah, this is not good. This is not a good avenue. Donut holes is better. Donut holes is better. <laughs> they had donut holes back then. Yeah, they did. So you've had Louis Ann, Aziz, Chris Rock, Kevin Hart. Do you have? Do you ever think about doing Madison Square Garden, just like as an idea? They've all. They've performing all performing there. Yeah, performing there. Not good. I don't. I don't. I don't really know if I could. I don't know if that many people would want to come see me, but. Um, <laughs> It's not, it's, it's just not something, when, in my day, you young people, <laughs> you know, if you, uh, I, I like, first of all, I don't even know if I would like it. I, yeah. I've only played a, pl a place like that once in London. I played the O2, which is about 13,000. And, you know, you make a lot of money, <laughs> but the show is, it doesn't have that intimacy. It yeah. doesn't have a... You, you can, I, I can do shows in front of, you know, 3,000 or 5,000 people where you can actually feel that you are hurting people physically. They're laughing so hard. You know, it's where the term I killed came from. You want to hurt people. You know, you want them to go, oh, that was too, it was too much, you know. That's what you like as a comedian. You want to kind of wipe them out. Yeah. Uh, you can't do that in front of, you know, 15,000. There's just too much air in the room. And uh, I don't know, I, I don't know. I just don't think it's, I could do it. I, I, and I don't need the, I don't want to say, I did it, you know, I, I don't care. <laughs> I, I want to do the, I, I want to do the beacon is where yeah. I want to play because that would be fun. <laughs> it's more fun for the audience and I don't mind making less, it's okay. <laughs> I'm gonna be fine. But I like that, that there's, a, there's a, last night I was in Memphis, Tennessee, and for whatever reason, it was just a wonderful audience, and it got, the show got to this place that was amazing, you know, that where you're like in this very tight sync uh, with the audience, and it's very, very exciting for the performer and the audience, and, and that can only happen in a certain size venue. Um, a thing that you've, you've mentioned a few, in a few episodes is uh, comedy as an art form. And you, like, when you talk to Fred Armisen, it's like, why isn't George Carlin seen as an artist? But mm -hmm. you often compare yourself to an athlete. So is comedy an art? Are you an artist? Or what part of what you do is the art? It's totally, there's nothing about it that's not art because it's made out of air. It doesn't have a reason. It doesn't need to be here. There's absolutely no difference between the greatest painting ever made and a joke. It's just something someone invented that someone else likes. That's <laughs> art. And it, and it has no reason to exist except its own virtue. Yeah. So that, that's, that's what art is. But, you know, when there's a two-drink minimum <laughs> and uh, people are getting drunk to make the guy seem funnier, uh, sometimes it's not looked at that way. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. That's fine. Yeah. So this is actually my last question. So, you know, you don't have any intention on retiring, but if you knew a thing was going to be your last set, would it be your last, where would you do it? Mm. And would you do an hour? Would you work on new material? Like, what would you do? I, honestly, I would do the set I did last night. I, I go <laughs> up every night going, if this is my last set, I want to give them the best, absolute best, that I could possibly, yeah, I, and I got that from Joe DiMaggio, mm -hmm. who was um, one time playing in a meaningless uh, game in August, and the Yankees were out of it, and he was uh, just killing himself, like trying to make these plays in, in center field, and the, the game didn't mean anything, and afterwards they asked him, why are you trying so hard? The Yankees are out of it. The game means nothing. And he said, there might be a kid in the audience yeah. that never saw me play. So that's what I, I try and, uh, that's my code. There might be somebody out there that's only going to see me this one night. I want to give them the best I have. Cool. Um, thank you.
we do have time for a Q&A. The microphone will be put here. So I don't, we'll... You don't need a microphone here. There's people in the back. That, that we can hear them. All right. I do this all the time. Um, so, you I don't mean, want them to walk up to the mic like the Joe Franklin they, show. They want to walk up. Alan Burke. That was, uh, anybody remember the Alan Burke show? Yeah, remember they would come up to the mic? No, if anybody has a question, we could just well, raise your hand. And... Well, you're the first. You raise your hand first. Yes, sir. Thank you. If you switch roles on comedians and coffee, who would you want interviewing you? And what would be your dream car to be interviewed with? Great one. Um, who would I want interviewing me? Well. Dead or alive? Oh, really? Oh, dead or alive? <laughs> they could be dead. Oh, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> um, wow. I, I really, I'm going to give you an answer, but I'm going I'm to be thinking about this the rest of the day. Um, I'll give you my number. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, wow. Probably uh, Chaplin. I would pick Chaplin. I love Chaplin. And uh, his, I, I've read a lot of stuff that he has said. And the, I, I think what would be so amazing about it is that we would speak the same language, that the language of comedy uh, Jay Leno made this point in um, uh, his episode of Comedians in Cars that... If I show you a scene from a Rudolph Valentino movie in the 20s, you're not going to think it's romantic or sexy. You're probably going to laugh and think it's stupid. But if I show you a Keaton or, or a Chaplin film from the 20s, same era, you're going to laugh just as hard. That's true. The fat guy, rich guy, fall in the mud puddle. Right. It's as funny now as it was in 1920. The guy doing this with the girl and, oh, you know, and, you know, it seems hokey. But comedy really doesn't change. Right. Those things stay the same, I think. So I, I think to talk to a guy like that, who has such a deep understanding of comedy, uh, and to see how it is so immutable, over all these uh, you know, decades w would be pretty fascinating. The oh, the car. Uh, I'd probably uh, pick a, um, a, uh, a Porsche Speedster from the 50s. Uh, that's my favorite car. Uh, right here, in front. Hey, uh, I, uh, one of my favorite things about this episode was with, uh, when Julia was talking about how she wished she would have done the Elaine Gets Fat storyline. Yeah. Uh, did everybody hear his question? Yeah. He was asking if there was a storyline that we should have done or that I thought that I, uh, that I regret that I didn't do. I had an episode all ready to go that we were going to do entirely secretly in claymation. <laughs> and I had the studio ready and the figures ready and it was all good to go. And, and then someone said, you know, Tim Allen did an animation <laughs> thing or something on home improvement last season. And I go, what? What kind of thing was it? And I never saw it. I didn't know what it was. And I got scared off it. I thought, I don't want people to say I'm imitating Tim Allen. And I canceled it. And, that, and I realized now that was a huge mistake. And you know, we had Kramer taking a pencil and sticking it in his eye and you know. <laughs> And we were going to shoot fake promos, and everybody was going to think a regular episode was going to come on, and it was going to be all claymation. And so that was a huge mistake. So yeah, that's what I regret. Right here? Yes. Uh, I particularly love the ones with Rickles and with Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner. Thank you. M nice. Me too. Thank you. Are there any recollections from any of that that didn't make it in? Well, there's tons, yeah. I mean, I do give you the best of what I have. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> uh, but there are, there are always other things. Yeah, I, I have, you know, there's another two hours with Carl and Mel in that living room. And there's another uh, hour or so with Don in that diner. And there's good stories there. And I do think the show will have other lives of different kinds. Um, I'm not sure what. I mean, I've met with some... People like uh, thinking about doing like a, a radio version. I, I always thought I could make a radio version of the show, and and uh, put people stand up in it. You know what yeah. I mean? I could take like 30 minutes of Louis stand up, and then.
take the show, take another 30 minutes and, and weave it all together so you would hear someone doing stand-up and then you would hear the, the conversation. But th there is other stuff. Um, I, can't, I can't remember anything off the top, but uh, yeah, we have a giant bank of stuff. Here? Um, about the cars you've been able to drive, do you have a favorite? My favorite car that I've driven so far on this show is uh, it was one of mine. It was it was with Kevin Hart. It was a Porsche's Spider with this little aluminum race car. Did you see that one? Yeah, that was a really great car, and uh, that one happened to be mine. When it says um, uh, "Courtesy Columbus 81," that's code for it's my car. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of them people are very generous with us, and uh, that Aston Martin was incredible. The um, so gorgeous, but they're lent to us by uh, very nice people that are in the hobby and. Uh, um, it's really, the, the quality of the cars has been getting better because people uh, think that it's cool now to be on the show. Is there a question somewhere in the back there? Yeah. If, uh, if you were to do an episode, obviously, if you were able to get, like, obviously not anymore, but if you did an episode of Rodney Danger, how do you think now would go? That, oh, well, the car, I don't know why people are concerned about the car. That's the easy part. It's easy to... <laughs> pick a car, but Rodney, I could tell you, who I knew well, now that's a guy where there was, what you saw in his act is 2% of what was going on with that guy. He is an incredibly interesting, complicated, intelligent, philosophical, insane human being, and, but he loved young comedians, and so he would hang out with us. And uh, it was the most fun thing in the world. And this show is made for a guy like that because you would see a human being that you had no idea of watching the act. I mean, I love his act, but it was very different from who he was. It was a lot more there. It was really like a tip of the iceberg thing. Right there, in the aisle. Ferrari. Ferrari. <laughs> oh no, nothing's planned. That would take work. Um, no, that just happened. It, it's happened a, a, with a few cars. Um, but that one was fun because Amy got to uh, embarrass me and got to enjoy, you know, that my big fancy car had fallen apart. <laughs> Yes, they do know we're coming, and uh, but we tell them we don't want you know every, you know we don't close the place and everybody else is just in there. I always think it's funny you can sometimes see people in the background. They know they're on the show and they just they're just going about yeah they're eating and they're talking and yeah they don't seem to realize this is a pretty big deal. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe they're not calling anybody. You wouldn't believe I'm on the show right now. <laughs> yeah. I just had a question. We're talking about picking cars. I was curious why you always picked the Saab and it's the same car for the whole series. Um, I love Saabs. I, I, I picked the Saab for Fred Armisen, the episode we did last season. The Saab to me was always kind of a, uh, I don't want to be part of the world. I want to do my own thing. And, you know, the, the, the ignition was on the floor, and the, you know, it's just a crazy company making crazy cars, and of course they failed, and I just, you know, just a, just a company I wanted to support in those days. I didn't, you know, if I'm gonna drive a car in a series that's gonna get something out of it, we didn't know about product placement in those days. I mean, all those things we did on the show, the Junior Mint and Snap, we didn't get a penny, nothing. And the network, we get so upset. You know, we'd be drinking Cokes, and you can't drink a Coke on the show. Pepsi's going to get upset. Well, well, we're doing it. You know, we don't. Once, once we, you know, started to get really good ratings, we just really became bullies with the network. We just do whatever we wanted. Right there. I haven't seen it. I've seen it. I've, you know, I flick, I've gone by it on Twitter a few times. Is it any good? It's, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. Of what? Of your massive fan, but it's good. Really? Come on. <laughs> How long is it? It's like a full episode. A full, oh, no, I, that's too long, too long. 
I'll give it a chance. I'll give it a chance. I, I, it's got to be horrible. It's just got to be. Really? Okay. All right. I'll try it. <laughs> right there? Okay. <laughs> yes. No, I, I can't, I can't. I did, uh, I was actually walking home one day and Amy Schumer texted me. She said, are you around? I'm just shooting this thing right now. Did you see this? No. The 80s ladies. And she said, could you come? I was just walking home. She said, would you just come in and be in this scene? I said, okay. But it's, it's again, we're going back to Amazon one-click ordering. I can't sit there anymore and wait. I, I did an episode of Louie last year and I said that's it I, I just can't do it anymore I just you know I did I did too much of it and just the sitting around and waiting and waiting and then okay let's take it again all right this time do it this way and now we're going to turn and oh, we got to fix this late and I, gotta, I can't take it I got to get out of here sure did you, uh, did you enjoy the process of writing cycle do you miss working I do miss that, yes. As painful as it is, as torturous as it is, we had an incredible writing staff on that show, and they were, it was so fun to hang out with them. And there are those horrible times when you, know, you have a story and you don't, can't think of a funny direction, and, and you'd sit there for 45 minutes and no one would speak. For 45 minutes, and you're sitting there with like six or eight people, and it's just this Depression. It's literally depression. And no one's talking. No one can think of anything. And I've actually read about this with uh, Chaplin, too, like sitting in these gag writers, just sitting in rooms, just waiting for someone to think of something. <laughs> and I mean, it's a, it's a, a comedy is a bit of a masochistic uh, pursuit. If you don't have a masochistic streak, I don't think you can succeed at it because so much of it is painful. You have to kind of like it. In a, in a sick way, you know, that this really hurts. So, but I do miss it. I do miss it. You mentioned earlier that you can get on the phone with Tony, but you've done pretty well for yourself. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have a bucket list, and uh, I looked at the list, and then I decided to turn the B to an F, and I was done with it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a joke that Obama stole from me <laughs> at the correspondence dinner and didn't get away with it. They busted him on Twitter. They go, hey, that's a Seinfeld joke. <laughs> Whoever shouted, you can go. Hi. Tons, tons of cartoons, nothing but cartoons. When I was young and then it was all, um, you know, laughing and Get Smart and Abbott and Costello. And one thing I never watched when I was a kid that I watched with my kids and couldn't believe the quality of it uh, in terms of the comedy is Early Tom and Jerry. Early Tom and Jerry is amazingly dense with the number of ideas that they would have for each three-minute episode. I mean, that's what's one of the fun things about really knowing the mechanics of, of the business. I know how long it takes to come up with that many good ideas. And then to execute them, you know, the animation, I know a little bit about that from a B-movie. So uh, early Tom and Jerry I find to be incredible work. All right, so we have time for two more, so. Uh... Only good ones. All right, you point to your friend. <laughs> Hi, Gary. Um, you talk a lot about marriage, and I was wondering if you had a top piece of advice for couples who are shortly about to depart on that. <laughs> oh, marriage advice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. All right, I'll give you some advice. Real advice. Um, try not to both go crazy at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Try to do it individually. <laughs> and then the other person can just hang on. <laughs> uh, last one? You're right here. How did you come up with a tagline for show about nothing? 
Um, it was just a joke uh, that we had in the, in the meeting when George and I pitched the TV series to NBC. And uh, I, for the life of me, I don't know why it caught on and why people liked it. I mean, it's the last thing I ever thought about the show is that it's about nothing. But uh, I guess it's just a funny line, and people liked it. And, uh, uh, but uh, honestly, it was a complete shock to me that that has stuck. That and, uh, and also in the uh, arts and leisure section tomorrow, uh, the, the article on the show, where they, they actually also have, not that there's anything wrong with it. <laughs> Which, Jesus Christ, oh, haven't, <laughs> haven't we heard that enough? <laughs> Thank you that very was much. A, oh, sorry. I just gotta say, that was a really great line that we came up with, because it enabled us to do that episode about not wanting to be thought of as gay without being homophobic, because I, I think without that line, we could not have done that episode. It really, it was, a, it was a subversive comment on political correctness and uh, really that, that line I, I, I do think was pretty cool. All right. All right, Very so good. that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for another episode of Good One. Follow Jerry on social media at Jerry Seinfeld. Good One is produced by me and Mike Comtech. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and write the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, what the heck, maybe tell them. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>